Good morning and welcome to everyone that is at our sites as well as those that are worshiping online with us. And we get to continue our series on heaven. And I just wish for you God's goodness of heaven in your life today as we gather together. I had the privilege of speaking at an outside event this past week and it was really quite fun, but the host had a slip of tongue. And uh, it was a moment of levity for everybody in the room. But when he introduced me, he introduced me as um, having received my Master of Divinity, you would think from Bethel Seminary. But instead of saying Bethel Seminary, he said Joel got his Master of Divinity from Bethel Cemetery. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seminary was hard, but it wasn't that hard. (laughs) You think about cemetery, though, and you think about death, and you think about death, and you think about heaven. And so we're looking at some of the frequently asked questions about heaven. I'm going to put them up on the screen these weeks and what we're going to be giving attention to. The the bigger picture of heaven, because this is a paradigm shift that needs to happen. I'm giving the primary energy to that last week and this week. Then we get into some of the practical, fun dimensions of heaven about what we will do there and what our relationships will be like. There are many questions we are not going to address, hundreds of them, so we want to recommend that you pick up Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. It's a worthy read. It will give you um, almost perspective of any question you could imagine. does a great job. He would be a subject matter expert on that topic today. I think we all agree. We hate death, right? We hate it. And by the way, Jesus did too. You know that. When his good friend Lazarus died... And he arrives four days later. It says Jesus wept. He hates death, as we all do. Uh, I want to put this before you as a consideration. Who in your life um, has died? Someone that you really love and someone that you miss terribly. And as you put that person, just put that person in your mind. Now, will you elevate in your mind one moment or one experience that you would love to relive again with them? Got it? So I'm thinking about my dad. I had so many different things I want to relive with him, but one came to mind that was really a fun one for me. My father was in the restaurant business, had a lot of Mexican restaurants, and I remember this Friday night, we were slammed, it was so busy, and we were working together in the kitchen, and I was at the steam table rolling enchiladas, tostadas, and tacos, and trying to do it as quickly as I can. And my dad is working the oven and everything has to come out fresh, happy for the customer. And we were just in synergy and sync and I'm going, I'm loving this. We're laughing in the midst of all this pressure and stress, but you had the right people around you. It is so much fun. I wanna, I wanna roll tortillas with my father again. <laughs> it's a picture I have, it's very positive for me. What is yours? I point it out because I want to say, in light of what we're learning, death is not the end of the story that my unique experience with my father does not end with his death. In fact, the picture that heaven gives to us in the scripture is it's the restoration of everything that we lose, of the life that we long for, of what we want back, being in the kitchen with my father. These things will be redeemed. They will be restored, and it shapes how we live, to say the least. So just to review the threefold aim, so we have clear focus about what we're doing in this five-week series on heaven. First of all, it is to engender warm hope. That is, we're not trying to romanticize death in any kind of way, but to just elevate the importance that death is the gateway to never-ending joy. That's what is intended in it, so we need not fear it. There's a restoration of things to come. 
And secondly, to fire up your imagination, which I spent a lot of time on last week because the reality is we have made heaven dull and boring to the end that we don't even want to think about it until we have to think about it, which is in the moment we're going to die on our deathbed. But that isn't the intention of what God would have in mind for us. He wants us to have fired up in our imagination so that we can have a correct biblical view of the reality of heaven that would motivate us today instead of some of the myths that it's boring. And in fact, I really wanna get rid of, um, if we could, the cartoonish images that we have of heaven, like the image that you see on the screen right now. I don't know if you can read it, it says, management is upgrading all the hardware and he's holding an iPad that says, I harp. We're gonna expand the harp services of the heavenly realm. Multiply it. How excited are you now about that? But you look at that image, and all of a sudden you go, okay, a harp, okay. Um, clouds, white robes. Boy, it's just really exciting to think about what's ahead. And this has become our norm. Get it out. Get it, get it off the screen. Get it out of your mind. Thank you. Because <laughs> I want to put something else in your screen that's far more important. When the Bible uses the language of music and harps, for instance, it's intended for a purpose. It's not that there's gonna be harps in every room that you go to, it's to communicate that music brings joy. When Carrie celebrated her birthday a couple of years ago, I bought her a, a new record player. Actually, we hadn't had one for 30 years. And we set it up and we went down and had to dig out our old albums from college and dating years. It was the most enjoyable birthday I can remember celebrating with Carrie. For five hours, it was just the two of us in our living room and in our kitchen, listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire and Al Jarreau and these great tunes and just having the best time dancing in the kitchen. It was so much fun. I hope you're not offended with dancing. It was, it was just the two of us. It's all cool. It was just so much fun. It was joy, that's what heaven brings to us. When we think about sky and clouds of heaven, really, it's just a symbol of transcendent awe. That every day, you know, you, you see a beautiful waterfall, you go, oh, kids, look at this. There's this transcendent awe of heaven that is before us in our every um, moment experience. We're just filled with awe. When we think about robes of white, it's so disheartening in the cartoonish image because many of you think, oh, my skin color doesn't work well with white. I don't want to wear white. We're so consumed with the clothes that we wear. We want to wear some. Are there other colors of robes in the closet of heaven? It's just the wrong kind of thinking. It's an imagery that speaks about cleansing and purity that will be clean in the presence of the Lord in fullness. The most important thing will be that we will continue, have a continued life with God. It's God with us, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And we'll be aware of it, not just knowing God, uh, about God, but knowing him personally. John 17, three. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You'll know God, not just about God. And you'll be completely caught up in the knowledge of who he is as you're in his presence. And then the third aim, and the one I'm really trying to elevate from last week into this week and really anchor in for us, is the call to exercise heaven on earth that it's here in the now. Put heaven on your radar as the central, life-sustaining conviction of your daily routines. 
It was for the first Christ followers all the way up until Constantine. It was their primary compass. It was for the first Christ followers in the scriptures, as we'll see in a moment. So last week, I tried to anchor that in with the question, where is heaven? And I'm not gonna draw as I did last week, but I am gonna just use my hand to image it. What God made was heaven and earth being completely united, no separation. We worked collaboratively together to beautify and see a flourishing world. Humans wanted to go a different way. They wanted God out, created a separate space, God space, and then a space for us, earth space, where we get to live and do our own thing without God interrupting. It was called sin. What God made was united. What sin did was divide us. So we thought about heaven and earth as God's space and our space. And the Bible even gives some pretty good distinction that God's space is referred with language like heaven is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's eternal life. And earth is the world. It's the present age. But never in the idea of God and what he created as one did he separate. He always kept an overlap providing the temple experience or the tabernacle where heaven overlapped with earth and people could come into the presence of God. Jesus comes and dwells in our midst and he becomes that tent, that tabernacle and he brings heaven, overlaps it with earth. He ushers in the kingdom of God. Now, so where is heaven? We talked about three dimensions last week. We talked about the kingdom of heaven that is here right now. And that's where I'm giving my best energy. Heaven is here. And I'm gonna anchor that further today. We talked about the second dimension. The moment you die, where do you go? And I called it transitional housing. Your soul is raised up to be with him in that transitional housing. And it's there that we anticipate or wait for permanent housing when Christ returns and our bodies are resurrected with our souls and heaven comes to dwell on earth and a resurrected earth and a resurrected body, we get to live out the kingdom of God in complete fullness. That's a summary of 20 minutes last week. How did that work for you? If you weren't here last week, listen to the whole 20 minutes of it. It's really important. It becomes the filter for everything that we're saying moving forward. But I, I wanna elevate this thought. What God originally made is being united, has as its middle the Garden of Eden. We get the garden back when Christ returns. What God made, got marred by sin, is being remade by God, and we're part of that renewal, restoring effort now. So the question I have today is, why set our minds on heaven? Well, because Christ came to dwell us. If you've received Christ into your life, you've been raised up with Christ, so the kingdom of heaven is in you to be lived out here and now, anchored in Colossians 3.1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now already we start to think, oh, it's up there, but listen to the rest of it. Don't miss the importance of a heaven-centered life here. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So while we're here, we're thinking about the things above that are to be here right now. The Greek word is zeteo, meaning to set your mind or to set your heart. It's a very, very strong word in its original language. Zeteo, say it with me, zeteo. One more time, with just a little more strength, zeteo. There's a, there's a power to this word. It's infused with energy and life. And it denotes this kind of focused quest. It means to seek and to search, I mean with some urgency. And it's the very word that you find in the Gospels that speaks of Jesus as the son of man who comes to Zeteo, seek and save the lost. Wow. If you question whether God is interested in you, he's more than interested. He's Zeteoing you. He is pursuing you, seeking after you. 
that you would know of his goodness. He's doing that every single day. And when you come to faith in Christ, he's still doing it in order to grow us up to be more like Christ. But here's the call, that same word that is used of God, zeteo, seeking after us, is the same word used of us seeking after God in heaven, even on earth, with that same kind of urgency. And so it is a diligent, active, single-minded focus or investigation of heaven on earth. To explore it, to be it, that's the call of zeteo. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have have ever lost a cell phone? Just raise your hand, be bold about it, please, because you're making me feel better in just a moment here. There's a good number of you, half of you raised your hands um, related to that. I've never lost a cell phone uh, until three weeks ago. And we were coming back from celebrating our 40th anniversary in Seattle, and we had stopped and filled up the rental car, went and dropped the car off, and as we were leaving the car, I, I had my phone in my hand, I couldn't find my phone. So I start to zeteo. Seek and search with urgency, <laughs> with diligence, with an active, single-minded focus. I must have my phone because my phone, I just never realized, I've never lost my phone, how dependent we have become on our phones. Because I have on my phone, it was a Samsung phone that had Samsung notes, and I use my Samsung notes. I have 40 pages of information of my mom and her health situation over the last two years. I have quotes from books. I have sermon outlines. All of my passwords are in Samsung notes. I'm three days without a phone when we come home. I'm feeling vulnerable and exposed in every way, which is ridiculous. It's a thing of the earth. But I, that's where I am. I've got all this stuff in here. And because I'm a digital um, immigrant rather than a digital native, <laughs> this stuff isn't natural to me. <laughs> I have a Samsung phone, I'm using Samsung Notes, and they tell me they can't transfer into my new phone my Samsung Notes because you have to have a Samsung account. But I have Samsung phone and a Samsung Notes. I, am I not already in the account? Well, if I am, it's in the password, which is in my Samsung somewhere else. <laughs> can't figure it out. I felt so vulnerable and exposed in that whole thing, <clears throat> but I have to live in that. <clears throat> but when we got to the airport, Carrie and I that they owed that car for 30 minutes. She going through it, I going through it, every nook, it has to be here. Must have fallen out when we got gas. We called the gas station three times that day. They don't find it. It's gone. I'm miserable for three days. I, a week later, get a call from Carrie. I'm away, and she says, you're not going to believe this. A woman found your phone. Where? In the car. No way. <laughs> How could that be? Sandwiched deep down into the seats and gotten into the seats. And this woman took it upon herself to call and say she was sending it. She paid for the phone to be sent. She didn't want any money. I'm just telling you, that is heaven on earth. <laughs> that is a woman who didn't have to do any of that, but lived into this place. And this is the call, Paul's admonition. Diligently, actively, single-mindedly investigate the kingdom of God that's here now. Go after it. So what does it practically mean to set your minds on heaven? To zeteo. Well, I'm going to say it means to be awakened, in case you're not, to be prepared, in case you're not, and to be a blessing, knowing that's God's intention for you. Let me unpack each one briefly, if I may. First of all, this be awakened. That is to set your minds on things above, 
specifically the kingdom of God that has overlapped with earth now so that it is here right now. The kingdom of heaven is on earth right now. And we get to seek after that. So the call is to be awake. So are you awake to that? Did you think about it that way when you rolled out of bed that I'm living in the kingdom of heaven on earth today? That's the mindset that I'm seeking us to adopt because that's what the scripture calls us to do. And so I'm gonna ask this question of you. What is the gospel that Jesus came to preach? I'm not asking you to define gospel. I'm saying what is the gospel that Jesus himself first preached when he came and began his ministry? Because when he began his ministry, he said it right off the top. This is what the gospel is. I wanna anchor us in this perspective. It's Mark 1. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is encapsulating the message. The kingdom of God is now. Be awakened. He's come and he preaches it. That he has ushered in in his presence on earth the kingdom of heaven in the now. And he doesn't do it alone. In fact, Jesus is a great leader, and so he chooses a great team. And he casts this compelling vision and outstanding strategy related to this single-minded message that he came to preach. I think about that even in your own leadership, in your own companies. Every great leader knows you don't go it alone. You always develop a great team to be with you. And the team is always asking what we call the three great leadership questions. Do you know where you're going? Do you know how you're gonna get us there? And will you love me along the way? Jesus answers yes to all of that. He knows where he is taking us. He knows how we're going to get there and he's gonna love us all along the way. What a picture that is. He's casting, Jesus is, a single message with the 12 in mind in Luke 8.1. Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. And this is astonishing. He sends the 12 out, his team, to implement the vision that he himself had been preaching and doing. And he sends them out with a single message of vision and strategy in Luke 9. And he called the 12 together and he gave them the power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So do you see that the kingdom of God is um, a restoration effort that is already underway? We find it in Jesus who finds the hungry and feeds them. The homeless get to come home. The blind get to see. The deaf get to hear. And now he gives by his power and authority these capacities to bring a restoration, a renewal on earth now. What heaven is still ahead in fullness and completeness, we get to see in part even now. It begins this restoring process of what we've lost, what we long for, and what we want back. Me in the kitchen with my dad rolling tortillas. It's not gone. It's not dead. It's going to come back again and we get to taste it even now in anticipation of what's still ahead. Then we see that Jesus dies, he rises from the dead, he visits his team, and he speaks about one single message, Acts 1-3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I go, wow, what a 40 days. Would you not like to be here those 40 days? Here's a guy who is dead who rises from the dead and he is here. And 
He's making it real, this restoration of all things. Jesus dies, he embraces his death, and he extinguishes it, and he comes back and walks around with people. And what's so astonishing about the text during those 40 days in his risen state is how ordinary it all seems. What does he do? He goes and he hangs out with his friends. He eats with them. There's even a scene in the New Testament where we find him going to the lake to have a cookout with his friends, a little bit of s'mores on the side. And you, you just, your imagination goes, wow. He's giving us a glimpse of how the restorative process is already underway. I will restore everything you were meant for in this life that got lost because of sin. You know, you know what he's saying is what God made, we get eaten back. We get eaten back. What got made, got marred, is being remade in the here and now in anticipation of his return. And they're awakened to this. How could they not be? They're walking around with a guy who's dead, he's alive. I mean, what an amazing thing it is. And even Paul, who was Saul, and if you recall, Saul was persecuting Christians, seeing that they would be killed. He didn't like their message at all until he has this encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says, oh my, do I have a job for you? You are going to become the messenger of this restorative work that I brought into this world, heaven on earth, by going to the Gentiles. And most of you, by the way, are Gentiles. We're here because of this given moment that God would purpose this guy to go out. And the very last glimpse we have of the early church is found in the last chapter, in the last um, verse of Acts. And it speaks about Paul, verse 30 of chapter 28. He lived there, that being Rome, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So if you're gonna say, what is the single phrase that would represent the gospel that Jesus came to preach? Join me in this. What is the single phrase? Well, that's really bold, okay. I'm trying to decide, do I want to start my message all over? (laughs) What do you got going for lunch today? (laughs) The single message is the kingdom of God. What is the single message? I'm trying to anchor this in your head because it's been derailed. We don't think of it this way. I want you to start thinking of it this way. It is the kingdom of God. When you wake up out of bed, the kingdom of God is here. What is he gonna do in and through my life in the midst of all the other things that so consume me and derail me from this promise that he is not up there distant from us. He is here right now in and through us. Be awakened. And then secondly, be prepared to set your roots in heavenly soil. We get what it means to put your your feet into earthly soil, but he's saying, no, set your mind on heavenly soil. In verse uh, chapter uh, six of Matthew, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't be seeking after the things of this earth. Seek after the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So what is the kingdom of God that we are to seek? And it's a good question because we don't use the language in common vernacular of kingdom any longer. And kings, not in our given you know, spheres of most direct influence anyways, but in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word means rank or authority and sovereign control exercised by a king over a kingdom or a realm. So it went out with this language, it kind of went out of style, kingdom language, with our first president, George Washington. And up until then, kingdoms and kings were the common language of the world. 
But George, you know, he helped to win the revolution that win the, the birth to this very great nation that we live in. And you may not know this, but the people that were in the United States and the colonies of that time wanted this first leader, George Washington, to be called the king, King George of a new kingdom that had been established here. And it was George Washington who personally said no. That's not what this is about at all. And he would set in motion a different rule that we know today as the government of the people, by the people, for the people. What a radical revolution this was. Completely changed how we understand what it means to be citizens on this given earth. Up until then, America had... uh, it was gonna be the, the, the change setter for this because it was kings and kingdoms up until that point. So it's hard for us to fully get the kingdom of God sometimes being here. We tend to think, when we think about kingdoms, what comes to our mind is the Minnesota Vikings because this is purple kingdom territory. So we think this is the kingdom of the Vikings. And of course, there's the kingdom of Green Bay, which are the cheesehead territory. And there has been a king in this kingdom ruling for a very long time. And Aaron Rodgers' rule as king is about to end. (laughs) See, you guys understand this language of king and kingdom, don't you? (laughs) Right? This is good. Yeah, you'll even clap for this. But you can see, we don't understand kingdom unless we put it in that kind of vernacular. But let let me give you from the biblical perspective. The kingdom of God is the reign of God internally in your heart when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and lived externally in the world through his power and presence in and through us. That's where kingdom finds itself. So listen, in order to seek first the kingdom, we must begin by seeking first the king. So you can have the benefits of heaven on earth now. He wants you to have them. But we have to receive the king. And we want to live for him. Jesus, zeteo, um, deliberately, actively, single-mindedly pursue the kingdom of God that's on earth right now. His praise, his purpose, his plan, rather than simply our own, to be awakened and to be prepared to live in the kingdom. And, and I raise it with such urgency because I, I think, and, and I'll take responsibility as a, as a leader in the church because I think the church over the last several decades has, we've just made it too foggy. And how did we get into this place? We have many people who are Christ followers but don't live with a kingdom mindset. And it happens because churches and church leaders began to teach and people then of churches began to teach that the priority of this gospel was the forgiveness of your sin that gives you the promise of heaven, which is up there somewhere. So I talked about beam me up, Scotty, from the Star Trek deal, get me out of this mess, versus the kingdom of God that is here. We do get the forgiveness of sin. But the problem we have found when we preach just simply the forgiveness of sins and the promise of heaven, the in-between place of living on this earth, is not always lived with the devotion to Jesus Christ and obedience to his way. Because I'm forgiven. I got heaven. It's in the bank. Therefore, why be devoted to Jesus? He'll take care of it. He's already taken care of it on the cross. And we miss the beauty of the kingdom of God on earth and the renewal and restoration process he intended and purposed us to be a part of. And this is why the kingdom of God is so important. It is the kingdom of God um, caught up in the life of Christ today because Jesus is living with us now. So to seek first his kingdom and all these things is a reminder for us um, to be kingdom guys and kingdom gals. And it, it, it's, it changes the aim of our lives. In fact, let me, let me put this little quote up here for you. If you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. 
If you aim at earth, you will get neither. This is why it matters, and it's so important. We are called to be kingdom guys and kingdom gals, and I'm inviting you to be that. Be a kingdom guy and a kingdom gal in your daily life. When you're at work, be a kingdom guy, a kingdom gal, a kingdom leader, a kingdom manager, a kingdom employee, kingdom employer. When you're out for dinner with your friends, be kingdom guys and kingdom gals. If you're courting someone and would love to marry this person, be a kingdom guy and a kingdom gal. See each other first as brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're in a place and you're coaching your daughter's team, be a kingdom guy and a kingdom gal. As a, as a parent who coached my kids when they were in their younger years, I was astonished at the behavior of coaches. Be kingdom guys and kingdom gals. And let me end up with this. Be a blessing, and that is to set your practices on heavenly habits. It takes 21 days to change a habit. Over the last year and a half, we've changed a lot of habits because of what we've had to walk through. Some of them have to be recovered to a better place in terms of our understanding of life on earth with Jesus who's brought the kingdom of God on earth. If you read the rest of uh, Colossians chapter three, you will find a description there of, really it's a clothing metaphor, and, I, and, and this makes sense to me, is you have to put on new clothes when you put your faith in Christ. So it says take off the things of this earth of lying, of cheating, of lusting, of just a whole list of things that are part of the earthly way of how we think of things. And he says, put on then um, that you are holy, dearly beloved, chosen people now. Put on love and joy and peace. Wear the clothing of Jesus Christ or the fruit of the Spirit so that love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and so all these things are part of the mark of the kingdom guy and gal today, wear new clothes. That's the picture. Dallas Willard put it quite beautifully. He says, so when Jesus directs us to pray, thy kingdom come, he does not mean we should pray for it to come into existence. Rather, we pray for it to take over at all points in the personal, social, and political order where it is now excluded on earth as it is in heaven, with this prayer we are invoking it, as in faith we are acting it into the real world of our daily existence. So what are you doing daily to set your mind on things above, to seek heaven on earth, to zeteo, with deliberation, um, actively, single-mindedly pursuing these things? I just wanna say a couple things. Begin your day in heaven. Begin your day in heaven. And I love this phrase, begin. When you wake out of bed, begin your day in heaven. Because when you wake up, you're thinking about all the earthly things that are consuming you. Begin your day in heaven. I'm gonna put up a, just a, a little reference to YouTube, the Holy Bible app. Pull it down. It is a phenomenal devotional guide. My wife steps into this every morning before she rolls out of bed. It's a compass for her day. She's waking up in heaven. That's on earth in this given moment. And then secondly, be part of the God putting things right project. The restoration process is underway in and through us. Personally, it impacts us. Collectively as a church, it says we're gonna be part of it. We're gonna be actively engaged on kingdom of God realities and restoration efforts. What includes a gospel sharing and bringing help to others. So I wanna introduce you briefly in my final expression on today's message to a new pastor on our staff, Dan Hayes. I want you to welcome Dan. He's just come from Chicago. Give him a Minnesota welcome. He's good to have you here, Dan. Dan's been with us for a solid, what, 10 days? 
Yes. Not a lot of time. So, you know, be kingdom guys and gals and be nice to the guy, okay? Awesome. And to his family. And we're just delighted that you're here. Mm. He's here to serve as the first ever and new campus pastor of West Tonka, Westwood, West Tonka, a new multi-site that we are launching part of our Here Near Far vision by 2028, want to do 10 of these multi-sites or micro-sites. He comes by faith to help give leadership to this initiative. Before you speak about that, just introduce us to your family real quick. Yeah, so excited to be here, Westwood. Um, like to, my family's up front. You can see a picture here. My wife, Jenny, and I have been married for 18 years, and we have three kids, Isaac, Levi, and Lise, and we're super excited to meet all of you in the days to come. Yeah, great. Thanks, Dan. And um, you've come from Chicago. Yes. To Minnesota. To our kingdom. Bears kingdom to Vikings. <laughs> yes, yeah. good. So why? Yeah, so we've been at, at uh, Village Church of Gurney serving as a pastor there for the past 16 years. And really about a year ago, my son Isaac and I, we did this, this uh, we call it a man trip up in the Porcupine Mountains in Michigan. And one of the days we focused in on uh, how we can experience the power of God in our lives and, and really looking at the book of Acts as a great example of that. And through those conversations, I began to like sense like the Lord was actually speaking this to me too. And that he was preparing me to step out in faith and in that faith to really experience a new level of just the power of God in my life. And kind of fast forward, we began learning more about Westwood Church and just saw the, the love of Jesus in this church and saw the passion that this church has for, for Acts 1-8, which speaks about that power of God in, in reaching the here, near, far. And it became so obvious to this that this is the church that we need to go to yeah. and be a part of and be a part of this new West Tonka campus. Yeah, to find somebody who has that passion and understanding of our here, near, far vision is just a tremendous gift. And I mm. think God has in store some great things for West Tonka. Yeah. Now, just set the table for us. How can people learn more? What's happening with West Tonka right now? Yeah, so we're super excited. We have um, right now 75 that are core committed to the campus and 200 that are interested. We have some things coming up this fall. We have three uh, pop-up events that we're going to be doing in, in the West Tonka community. Um, one in, in September, in October, November. And then in October, we're going to be meeting in the Woodside Chapel at the 1030 service. So we've got some great plans ahead, eventually meeting in the Mound West Tonka High School. So we'd love for you to stop by. We have a table out in the lobby. You can meet. There's going to be people in these blue shirts. You can talk with, with um, us about that. And just for you to consider, um, if you live in that West Tonka area, to step out in faith with us and see really bringing the kingdom of God to the West Tonka community. It's a, it's a powerful opportunity. It really is. And just to reinforce, so beginning in October, mm -hmm. you'll actually start meeting with all those that are interested yes. here on our Chanhassen campus for yeah. worship services at our 1030 hour. Yeah. So you're welcome to continue in that journey. Our goal is to see 200 firmly committed. We have 75 mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. So the date of launch will be dictated by that engagement and the yes of people on the front end of the journey. But like a good leader and like Jesus, you're not alone. You've got a team that actually have been working yes. for months before you even got here. We've got three, I think, of the five that are with us. I'm gonna invite them to come. And they each have said yes and are committed to the journey in different roles. You're just gonna hear um, their name and how they are currently going to serve in this given region. There are five total ministry area leaders and three of the five are with us right now. So hello, nice to see you. Each of you, introduce yourselves and what you're doing. Good morning, so excited to be here. My name's Paul Hamm. And with uh, West Tonka launch, I'll be serving as the volunteer area leader for the launch itself. So there are uh, several functional areas, each of which has a leader. 
And uh, we're trying to seek and find volunteers for all of those and help him, helping to coordinate those efforts, working very closely with, uh, with Dan and others. My wife, Michelle, and I, uh, we live in, uh, in the Mound West Tonka area. We've been there for about 16 years. We've been ten attending Westwood uh, for 16 years as well. I'm so excited to bring the love of Christ to the community that we live in and where my kids go to school. Hi, my name is uh, Luke Rasmussen, and I am running the welcome team. Um, so my wife, Leslie, and I, we have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, um, and we've been in the West Tonka area for about 10 years here at, at Westwood for six. Um, the thing that we are just so passionate about and excited about is we know that there's so much growth happening in the uh, West Tonka communities with new developments, people moving in, but even people within our community. We had an amazing event at the... Um, the uh, Lake Minnetonka Regional Park, and we had one of the big banners that you'll see out in the uh, lobby um, that said, welcome to Westwood. And a gentleman came up to me and said, hey, what is this? What does this mean? Um, and he's never been to church, uh, originally from India, amazing guy, created a connection, and he's like, I've always wanted to come check out a Christian church, never knew what that looked like, would I be welcome, how do I do that? So there are so many people, and I've gotten to connect with him in coffee, that are just looking for community, looking for connection, and that's on the welcome team. We're so excited to bring is that connection and doing life together, having meals, um, and so there's so much need for that in the West Tonka area, and we're so excited to be a small part of that. Hi everyone, I'm Kelsey Madison, and I'm an area co-lead for Kids Ministry. My wife, Annalisa, and I, along with our 18-month-old son, Anders, live in Mound. And the reason why I'm so excited about Westwood West Tonka is that I know I can't control everything that my son is going to experience in his life. That's so good you know that. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> but the, the cool thing is, is that God gave me the ability to create. So at Westwood West Tonka, we're going to create an environment mm -hmm. where our kids can not only build a relationship with one another in the community, but even more importantly than that, they're going to learn from adults who are passionate about sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them and what it means to be in a relationship with him. So I don't think anything can get better than that. No. Hey, you guys, it's so great, isn't it? Come on over there. Oh. Yeah, they're underway. So if you're in that region and you want to learn more, check it out. And we're excited about that launch. Our time is up, unfortunately. I'd love to spend the time and redo my whole message with you. But you know the one single message that Jesus came to preach was the kingdom of God. Oh, I just feel so much better. Would you stand <laughs> and let me offer this prayer uh, for West Tonka and the journey ahead. Father God, thank you so much for the gift of life of allowing heaven to come to earth and for us to not be separated but to be one with you for a renewal and a restorative work that's underway and we get to be the church. We get to be part of it. We avail ourselves to the end that we would honor you and that we'd bring this message of hope in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. And I wanna lift up West Tonka specifically. Be with Dan and his family as they transition. They got a lot of learning ahead but for the team that's already there, committed, we just pray that they'll be a great encouragement, but prosper and bless them all. And then prepare the hearts of those who know you not to know you because the message gets declared and known through the love of these who are faithfully serving you. We ask yes. in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Great. Would you say thank you to the West Tonka team? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Good morning and welcome to everyone that is at our sites as well as those that are worshiping online with us. And we get to continue our series on heaven. And I just wish for you God's goodness of heaven in your life today as we gather together. I had the privilege of speaking at an outside event this past week and it was really quite fun, but the host had a slip of tongue. And uh, it was a moment of levity for everybody in the room. But when he introduced me, he introduced me as um, having received my Master of Divinity, you would think from Bethel Seminary. But instead of saying Bethel Seminary, he said Joel got his Master of Divinity from Bethel Cemetery. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seminary was hard, but it wasn't that hard. You think about cemetery, though, and you think about death, and you think about death, and you think about heaven. And so we're looking at some of the frequently asked questions about heaven. I'm going to put them up on the screen these weeks and what we're going to be giving attention to. The, the bigger picture of heaven, because this is a paradigm shift that needs to happen. I'm giving the primary energy to that last week and this week. Then we get into some of the practical, fun dimensions of heaven about what we will do there and what our relationships will be like. There are many questions we are not going to address, hundreds of them, so we want to recommend that you pick up Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. It's a worthy read. It will give you um, almost perspective of any question you could imagine. does a great job. He would be a subject matter expert on that topic today. I think we all agree. We hate death, right? We hate it. And by the way, Jesus did too. You know that. When his good friend Lazarus died... And he arrives four days later. It says Jesus wept. He hates death, as we all do. Uh, I want to put this before you as a consideration. Who in your life um, has died? Someone that you really love and someone that you miss terribly. And as you put that person, just put that person in your mind. Now, will you elevate in your mind one moment or one experience that you would love to relive again with them? Got it? So I'm thinking about my dad. I had so many different things I want to relive with him, but one came to mind that was really a fun one for me. My father was in the restaurant business, had a lot of Mexican restaurants, and I remember this Friday night, we were slammed, it was so busy, and we were working together in the kitchen, and I was at the steam table rolling enchiladas, tostadas, and tacos, and trying to do it as quickly as I can. And my dad is working the oven and everything has to come out fresh, happy for the customer. And we were just in synergy and sync and I'm going, I'm loving this. We're laughing in the midst of all this pressure and stress, but you had the right people around you. It is so much fun. I wanna wanna roll tortillas with my father again. (laughs) It's a picture I have, it's very positive for me. What is yours? I point it out because I want to say, in light of what we're learning, death is not the end of the story that my unique experience with my father does not end with his death. 
In fact, the picture that heaven gives to us in the scripture is it's the restoration of everything that we lose, of the life that we long for, of what we want back, being in the kitchen with my father. These things will be redeemed. They will be restored. And it shapes how we live, to say the least. So just to review the threefold aim, so we have clear focus about what we're doing in this five-week series on heaven. First of all, it is to engender warm hope. That is, we're not trying to romanticize death in any kind of way, but to just elevate the importance that death is the gateway to never-ending joy. That's what is intended in it, so we need not fear it. There's a restoration of things to come. And secondly, to fire up your imagination, which I spent a lot of time on last week, because the reality is we have made heaven dull and boring to the end that we don't even want to think about it until we have to think about it, which is in the moment we're going to die on our deathbed. But that isn't the intention of what God would have in mind for us. He wants us to have fired up in our imagination so that we can have a correct biblical view of the reality of heaven that would motivate us today instead of some of the myths that it's boring. And in fact, I really want to get rid of, um, if we could, the cartoonish images that we have of heaven, like the image that you see on the screen right now. I don't know if you can read it. It says, management is upgrading all the hardware, and he's holding an iPad that says, I harp. We're going to expand the harp services of the heavenly realm. Multiply it. How excited are you now about that? But you look at that image, and all of a sudden you go, okay, a harp, okay. Uh, clouds, white robes. Boy, it's just really exciting to think about what's ahead. And this has become our norm. Get it out. Get it, get it off the screen. Get it out of your mind. Thank you. Because <laughs> I want to put something else in your screen that's far more important. When the Bible uses the language of music and harps, for instance, it's intended for a purpose. It's not that there's going to be harps in every room that you go to. It's to communicate that music brings joy. When Carrie celebrated her birthday a couple of years ago, I bought her a, a new record player. Actually, we hadn't had one for 30 years. And we set it up, and we went down and had to dig out our old albums from college and dating years. It was the most enjoyable birthday I can remember celebrating with Carrie. For five hours, it was just the two of us in our living room and in our kitchen, listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire and Al Jarreau and these great tunes and just having the best time dancing in the kitchen. It was so much fun. I hope you're not offended with dancing. It was, it was just the two of us. It's all cool. It was just so much fun. It was joy. That's what heaven brings to us. When we think about sky and clouds of heaven, really, it's just a symbol of transcendent awe. That every day, you know, you, you see a beautiful waterfall, you go, oh, kids, look at this. <laughs> There's this transcendent awe of heaven that is before us in our every um, moment experience. We're just filled with awe. When we think about robes of white, it's so disheartening in the cartoonish image because many of you think, oh, my skin color doesn't work well with white. I don't want to wear white. We're so consumed with the clothes that we wear. We want to wear some. Are there other colors of robes in the closet of heaven? It's just the wrong kind of thinking. It's an imagery that speaks about cleansing and purity that will be clean in the presence of the Lord in fullness. The most important thing will be that we will continue, have a continued life with God. It's God with us, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, and we'll be aware of it, not just knowing God, 
uh, about God, but knowing him personally. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You'll know God, not just about God. And you'll be completely caught up in the knowledge of who he is as you're in his presence. And then the third aim, and the one I'm really trying to elevate from last week into this week and really anchor in for us, is the call to exercise heaven on earth. That it's here in the now. Put heaven on your radar as the central, life-sustaining conviction of your daily routines. It was for the first Christ followers all the way up until Constantine. It was their primary compass. It was for the first Christ followers in the scriptures, as we'll see in a moment. So last week, I tried to anchor that in with the question, where is heaven? And I'm not going to draw as I did last week, but I am going to just use my hand to image it. What God made was heaven and earth being completely united, no separation. We worked collaboratively together to beautify and see a flourishing world. Humans wanted to go a different way. They wanted God out, created a separate space, God space, and then a space for us, earth space, where we get to live and do our own thing without God interrupting. It was called sin. What God made was united. What sin did was divide us. So we thought about heaven and earth as God's space and our space. And the Bible even gives some pretty good distinction that God's space is referred with language like heaven is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's eternal life. And earth is the world. It's the present age. But never in the idea of God and what he created as one did he separate. He always kept an overlap providing the temple experience or the tabernacle where heaven overlapped with earth and people could come into the presence of God. Jesus comes and dwells in our midst and he becomes that tent, that tabernacle and he brings heaven, overlaps it with earth. He ushers in the kingdom of God. Now, so where is heaven? We talked about three dimensions last week. We talked about the kingdom of heaven that is here right now. And that's where I'm giving my best energy. Heaven is here. And I'm gonna anchor that further today. We talked about the second dimension. The moment you die, where do you go? And I called it transitional housing. Your soul is raised up to be with him in that transitional housing. And it's there that we anticipate or wait for permanent housing when Christ returns and our bodies are resurrected with our souls and heaven comes to dwell on earth and a resurrected earth and a resurrected body, we get to live out the kingdom of God in complete fullness. That's a summary of 20 minutes last week. How did that work for you? If you weren't here last week, listen to the whole 20 minutes of it. It's really important. It becomes the filter for everything that we're saying moving forward. But I want to elevate this thought. What God originally made is being united, has as its middle the Garden of Eden. We get the garden back when Christ returns. What God made, got marred by sin, is being remade by God, and we're part of that renewal, restoring effort now. So the question I have today is, why set our minds on heaven? Well, because Christ came to dwell us. If you've received Christ into your life, you've been raised up with Christ, so the kingdom of heaven is in you to be lived out here and now, anchored in Colossians 3.1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now already we start to think, oh, it's up there, but listen to the rest of it. Don't miss the importance of a heaven-centered life here. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So while we're here, 
We're thinking about the things above that are to be here right now. The Greek word is zeteo, meaning to set your mind or to set your heart. It's a very, very strong word in its original language. Zeteo, say it with me, zeteo. One more time, with just a little more strength, zeteo. There's a, there's a power to this word. It's infused with energy and life. And it denotes this kind of focused quest. It means to seek and to search, I mean, with some urgency. And it's the very word that you find in the Gospels that speaks of Jesus as the son of man who comes to zeteo, seek and save the lost. Wow. If you question whether God is interested in you, he's more than interested. He's zeteoing you. He is pursuing you, seeking after you, that you would know of his goodness. He's doing that every single day. And when you come to faith in Christ, he's still doing it in order to grow us up to be more like Christ. But here's the call, that same word that is used of God, zeteo, seeking after us, is the same word used of us seeking after God in heaven, even on earth, with that same kind of urgency. And so it is a diligent, active, single-minded focus or investigation of heaven on earth. To explore it, to be it, that's the call of zeteo. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have have ever lost a cell phone? Just raise your hand. Be bold about it, please, because you're making me feel better in just a moment here. There's a good number of you. Half of you raised your hands um, related to that. I've never lost a cell phone uh, until three weeks ago. And we were coming back from celebrating our 40th anniversary in Seattle, and we had stopped and filled up the rental car, went and dropped the car off, and as we were leaving the car, I, I had my phone in my hand. I couldn't find my phone. So I start to zeteo, seek and search with urgency, <laughs> with diligence, with an active, single-minded focus. I must have my phone because my phone, I just never realized, I've never lost my phone, how dependent we have become on our phones. Because I have on my phone, it was a Samsung phone that had Samsung notes, and I use my Samsung notes. I have 40 pages of information of my mom and her health situation over the last two years. I have quotes from books. I have sermon outlines. All of my passwords are in Samsung notes. I'm three days without a phone when we come home. I'm feeling vulnerable and exposed in every way, which is ridiculous. It's a thing of the earth. But that's where I am. I've got all this stuff in here. And because I'm a digital um, immigrant rather than a digital native, This stuff isn't natural to me. (laughs) I have a Samsung phone. I'm using Samsung Notes, and they tell me they can't transfer into my new phone my Samsung Notes because you have to have a Samsung account. But I have Samsung phone and a Samsung Notes. Am I not already in the account? Well, if I am, it's in the password, which is in my Samsung somewhere else. (laughs) Can't figure it out. I felt so vulnerable and exposed in that whole thing, but I have to live in that. But when we got to the airport, Carrie and I zeteoed that car for 30 minutes. She going through it, I going through it, every nook, it has to be here. Must have fallen out when we got gas. We called the gas station three times that day. They don't find it. It's gone. I'm miserable for three days. I, a week later, get a call from Carrie. I'm away, and she says, you're not going to believe this. A woman found your phone. Where? In the car. No way. (laughs) How could that be? Sandwiched deep down into the seats and gotten into the seats. And this woman took it upon herself to call and say she was sending it. She paid for the phone to be sent. She didn't want any money. I'm just telling you, that is heaven on earth. 
That is a woman who didn't have to do any of that, but lived into this place. And this is the call, Paul's admonition. Diligently, actively, single-mindedly investigate the kingdom of God that's here now. Go after it. So what does it practically mean to set your minds on heaven? To zeteo. Well, I'm going to say it means to be awakened, in case you're not, to be prepared, in case you're not, and to be a blessing, knowing that's God's intention for you. Let me unpack each one briefly, if I may. First of all, this be awakened, that is to set your minds on things above, specifically the kingdom of God that has overlapped with earth now, so that it is here right now. The kingdom of heaven is on earth right now. And we get to seek after that. So the call is to be awake. So are you awake to that? Did you think about it that way when you rolled out of bed that I'm living in the kingdom of heaven on earth today? That's the mindset that I'm seeking us to adopt because that's what the scripture calls us to do. And so I'm gonna ask this question of you. What is the gospel that Jesus came to preach? I'm not asking you to define gospel. I'm saying, what is the gospel that Jesus himself first preached when he came and began his ministry? Because when he began his ministry, he said it right off the top. This is what the gospel is. I want to anchor us in this perspective. It's Mark 1. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is encapsulating the message. The kingdom of God is now. Be awakened. He's come and he preaches it, that he has ushered in, in his presence on earth, the kingdom of heaven in the now. And he doesn't do it alone. In fact, Jesus is a great leader, and so he chooses a great team. And he casts this compelling vision and outstanding strategy related to this single-minded message that he came to preach. I think about that even in your own leadership, in your own companies. Every great leader knows you don't go it alone. You always develop a great team to be with you. And the team is always asking what we call the three great leadership questions. Do you know where you're going? Do you know how you're going to get us there? And will you love me along the way? Jesus answers yes to all of that. He knows where he is taking us. He knows how we're going to get there. And he's going to love us all along the way. What a picture that is. He's casting, Jesus is, a single message with the 12 in mind in Luke 8.1. Soon afterwards, he went on through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. And this is astonishing. He sends the 12 out, his team, to implement the vision that he himself had been preaching and doing. And he sends them out with a single message of vision and strategy in Luke 9. And he called the 12 together and he gave them the power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So do you see that the kingdom of God is um, a restoration effort that is already underway? We find it in Jesus who finds the hungry and feeds them. The homeless get to come home. The blind get to see. The deaf get to hear. And now he gives by his power and authority these capacities to bring a restoration, a renewal on earth now. What heaven is still ahead in fullness and completeness, we get to see in part even now. It begins this restoring process of what we've lost, what we long for, and what we want back. Me in the kitchen with my dad rolling tortillas. 
It's not gone. It's not dead. It's going to come back again, and we get to taste it even now in anticipation of what's still ahead. Then we see that Jesus dies. He rises from the dead. He visits his team, and he speaks about one single message, Acts 1-3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I go, wow, what a 40 days. Would you not like to be here those 40 days? Here's a guy who is dead, who rises from the dead, and he is here, and he's making it real, this restoration of all things. Jesus dies, he embraces his death, and he extinguishes it, and he comes back and walks around with people. And what's so astonishing about the text during those 40 days in his risen state is how ordinary it all seems. What does he do? He goes and he hangs out with his friends. He eats with them. There's even a scene in the New Testament where we find him going to the lake to have a cookout with his friends, a little bit of s'mores on the side. And you, you just your imagination goes, wow. He's giving us a glimpse of how the restorative process is already underway. I will restore everything you were meant for in this life that got lost because of sin. You know, you know what he's saying is what God made, we get eaten back. We get eaten back. What got made, got marred, is being remade in the here and now in anticipation of his return. And they're awakened to this. How could they not be? They're walking around with a guy who's dead, he's alive. I mean, what an amazing thing it is. And even Paul, who was Saul, and if you recall, Saul was persecuting Christians, seeing that they would be killed. He didn't like their message at all until he has this encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says, oh my, do I have a job for you? You are going to become the messenger of this restorative work that I brought into this world, heaven on earth, by going to the Gentiles. And most of you, by the way, are Gentiles. We're here because of this given moment that God would purpose this guy to go out. And the very last glimpse we have of the early church is found in the last chapter, in the last um, verse of Acts. And it speaks about Paul, verse 30 of chapter 28. He lived there, that being Rome, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So if you're gonna say, what is the single phrase that would represent the gospel that Jesus came to preach? Join me in this. What is the single phrase? Well, that's really bold, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to decide, do I want to start my message all over? <laughs> what do you got going for lunch today? <laughs> the single message is the kingdom of God. What is the single message? The of God. I, I'm trying to anchor this in your head because it's been derailed. We don't think of it this way. I want you to start thinking of it this way. It is the kingdom of God. When you wake up out of bed, the kingdom of God is here. What is he gonna do in and through my life in the midst of all the other things that so consume me and derail me from this promise that he is not up there distant from us. He is here right now in and through us. Be awakened. And then secondly, be prepared to set your roots in heavenly soil. We get what it means to put your, your feet into earthly soil, but he's saying, no, set your mind on heavenly soil. In verse uh, chapter uh, six of Matthew, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't be seeking after the things of this earth. Seek after the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So what is the kingdom of God that we are to seek? 
And it's a good question because we don't use the language in common vernacular of kingdom any longer. And kings, not in our given you know, spheres of most direct influence anyways, but in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word means rank or authority and sovereign control exercised by a king over a kingdom or a realm. So it went out with this language, it kind of went out of style, kingdom language, with our first president, George Washington. And up until then, kingdoms and kings were the common language of the world. But George, you know, he helped to win the revolution that win the, the birth to this very great nation that we live in. And you may not know this, but the people that were in the United States and the colonies of that time wanted this first leader, George Washington, to be called the king, King George of a new kingdom that had been established here. And it was George Washington who personally said, no, that's not what this is about at all. And he would set in motion a different rule that we know today as the government of the people, by the people, for the people. What a radical revolution this was. Completely changed how we understand what it means to be citizens on this given earth. Up until then, America had... Uh, it was going to be the, the, the change setter for this because it was kings and kingdoms up until that point. So it's hard for us to fully get the kingdom of God sometimes being here. We tend to think, when we think about kingdoms, what comes to our mind is the Minnesota Vikings because this is purple kingdom territory. So we think this is the kingdom of the Vikings. And of course, there's the kingdom of Green Bay, which are the cheesehead territory. And there has been a king in this kingdom ruling for a very long time. And Aaron Rodgers' rule as king is about to end. <laughs> See, you guys understand this language of king and kingdom, don't you? <laughs> right? This is good. Yeah, you'll even clap for this. But you can see, we don't understand kingdom unless we put it in that kind of vernacular. But let me, let me give you it from the biblical perspective. The kingdom of God is the reign of God internally in your heart when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and lived externally in the world through his power and presence in and through us. That's where kingdom finds itself. So listen, in order to seek first the kingdom, we must begin by seeking first the king. So you can have the benefits of heaven on earth now. He wants you to have them. But we have to receive the king. And we want to live for him. Jesus, zeteo, um, deliberately, actively, single-mindedly pursue the kingdom of God that's on earth right now. His praise, his purpose, his plan, rather than simply our own, to be awakened and to be prepared to live in the kingdom. And, and I raise it with such urgency because I, I think, and, and I'll take responsibility as a, as a leader in the church because I think the church over the last several decades has, we've just made it too foggy. And how did we get into this place? We have many people who are Christ followers but don't live with a kingdom mindset. And it happens because churches and church leaders began to teach and people then of churches began to teach that the priority of this gospel was the forgiveness of your sin that gives you the promise of heaven, which is up there somewhere. So I talked about beam me up, Scotty, from the Star Trek deal, get me out of this mess, versus the kingdom of God that is here. We do get the forgiveness of sin. But the problem we have found when we preach just simply the forgiveness of sins and the promise of heaven, the in-between place of living on this earth, is not always live with the devotion to Jesus Christ and obedience to his way. Because I'm forgiven. I got heaven. It's in the bank. Therefore, 
Why be devoted to Jesus? He'll take care of it. He's already taken care of it on the cross. And we miss the beauty of the kingdom of God on earth and the renewal and restoration process he intended and purposed us to be a part of. And this is why the kingdom of God is so important. It is the kingdom of God um, caught up in the life of Christ today because Jesus is living with us now. So to seek first his kingdom and all these things is a reminder for us um, to be kingdom guys and kingdom gals. And it, it, it's, it changes the aim of our lives. In fact, let me, let me put this little quote up here for you. If you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. If you aim at earth, you will get neither. This is why it matters and it's so important. We are called to be kingdom guys and kingdom gals and I'm inviting you to be that. Be a kingdom guy and a kingdom gal in your daily life. When you're at work, be a kingdom guy, a kingdom gal, a kingdom leader, a kingdom manager, a kingdom employee, kingdom employer. When you're out for dinner with your friends, be kingdom guys and kingdom gals. If you're courting someone and would love to marry this person, be a kingdom guy and a kingdom gal. See each other first as brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're in a place and you're coaching your daughter's team, be a kingdom guy and a kingdom gal. As a, as a parent who coached, my kids, when they were in their younger years, I was astonished at the behavior of coaches. Be kingdom guys and kingdom gals. And let me end up with this. Be a blessing, and that is to set your practices on heavenly habits. It takes 21 days to change a habit. Over the last year and a half, we've changed a lot of habits because of what we've had to walk through. Some of them have to be recovered to a better place in terms of our understanding of life on earth with Jesus who's brought the kingdom of God on earth. If you read the rest of uh, Colossians chapter three, you will find a description there of, really it's a clothing metaphor, and, I, and, and this makes sense to me, is you have to put on new clothes when you put your faith in Christ. So it says take off the things of this earth, of lying, of cheating, of lusting, of just a whole list of things that are part of the earthly way of how we think of things. And he says, put on then um, that you are holy, dearly beloved, chosen people now. Put on love and joy and peace. Wear the clothing of Jesus Christ or the fruit of the Spirit so that love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and so all these things are part of the mark of the kingdom guy and gal today, wear new clothes. That's the picture. Dallas Willard put it quite beautifully. He says, so when Jesus directs us to pray, thy kingdom come, he does not mean we should pray for it to come into existence. Rather, we pray for it to take over at all points in the personal, social, and political order where it is now excluded on earth as it is in heaven, with this prayer we are invoking it as in faith we are acting it into the real world of our daily existence. So what are you doing daily to set your mind on things above, to seek heaven on earth, to zeteo with deliberation, um, actively, single-mindedly pursuing these things? I just wanna say a couple things. Begin your day in heaven. Begin your day in heaven. And I love this phrase, begin. When you wake out of bed, begin your day in heaven. Because when you wake up, you're thinking about all the earthly things that are consuming you. Begin your day in heaven. I'm gonna put up a, just a, a little reference to YouTube, the Holy Bible app. Pull it down. It is a phenomenal devotional guide. My wife steps into this every morning before she rolls out of bed. It's a compass for her day. She's waking up in heaven. That's on earth in this given moment. 
And then secondly, be part of the God putting things right project. The restoration process is underway in and through us. Personally, it impacts us. Collectively as a church, it says we're gonna be part of it. We're gonna be actively engaged on kingdom of God realities and restoration efforts. What includes uh, gospel sharing and bringing help to others. So I wanna introduce you briefly in my final expression on today's message to a new pastor on our staff, Dan Hayes. I want you to welcome Dan. He's just come from Chicago. Give him a Minnesota welcome. He's good to have you here, Dan. Dan's been with us for a solid, what, 10 days? So yes. Not a lot of time. So, you know, be kingdom guys and gals and be nice to the guy, okay? Awesome. And to his family. And we're just delighted that you're here. Mm. He's here to serve as the first ever and new campus pastor of West Tonka, Westwood, West Tonka, a new multi-site that we are launching part of our Here Near Far vision by 2028, want to do 10 of these multi-sites or micro-sites. He comes by faith to help give leadership to this initiative. Before you speak about that, just introduce us to your family real quick. Yeah, so excited to be here, Westwood. Um, like to, my family's up front. You can see a picture here. My wife, Jenny, and I have been married for 18 years, and we have three kids, Isaac, Levi, and Elise, and we're super excited to meet all of you in the days to come. Yeah, great. Thanks, Dan. And um, you've come from Chicago. Yes. To Minnesota. To our kingdom. Bears kingdom to Vikings. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's good. So why? Yeah, so we've been at, at uh, Village Church of Gurney serving as a pastor there for the past 16 years. And really about a year ago, my son Isaac and I, we did this, this uh, we call it a man trip up in the Porcupine Mountains in Michigan. And one of the days we focused in on uh, how we can experience the power of God in our lives and, and really looking at the book of Acts as a great example of that. And through those conversations, I began to like sense like the Lord was actually speaking this to me too. And that he was preparing me to step out in faith and in that faith to really experience a new level of just the power of God in my life. And kind of fast forward, we began learning more about Westwood Church and just saw the, the love of Jesus in this church and saw the passion that this church has for, for Acts 1-8, which speaks about that power of God in, in reaching the here, near, far. And it became so obvious to this that this is the church that we need to go to yeah. and be a part of and be a part of this new West Tonka campus. Yeah, to find somebody who has that passion and understanding of our here, near, far vision is just a tremendous gift. And I mm. think God has in store some great things for West yeah. Tonka. Now, just set the table for us. How can people learn more? What's happening with West Tonka right now? Yeah, so we're super excited. We have um, right now 75 that are core committed to the campus and 200 that are interested. We have some things coming up this fall. We have three uh, pop-up events that we're going to be doing in, in the West Tonka community. Um, one in, in September, in October, November. And then in October, we're going to be meeting in the Woodside Chapel at the 1030 service. So we've got some great plans ahead, eventually meeting in the Mound West Tonka High School. So we'd love for you to stop by. We have a table out in the lobby. You can meet. There's going to be people in these blue shirts. You can talk with, with um, us about that. And just for you to consider, um, if you live in that West Tonka area, to step out in faith with us and see really bringing the kingdom of God to the West Tonka community. It's a, it's a powerful opportunity. It really is. And just to reinforce, so beginning in October, mm -hmm. 
you'll actually start meeting with all those that are interested yes. here on our Chanhassen campus for yeah. worship services at our 1030 hour. Yeah. So you're welcome to continue in that journey. Our goal is to see 200 firmly committed. We have 75 mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. So the date of launch will be dictated by that engagement and the yes of people on the front end of the journey. But like a good leader and like Jesus, you're not alone. You've got a team that actually have been working yes. for months before you even got here. We've got three, I think, of the five that are with us. I'm gonna invite them to come. And they each have said yes and are committed to the journey in different roles. You're just gonna hear um, their name and how they are currently going to serve in this given region. There are five total ministry area leaders and three of the five are with us right now. So hello, nice to see you. Each of you, introduce yourselves and what you're doing. Good morning, so excited to be here. My name's Paul Hamm. And with uh, West Tonka launch, I'll be serving as the volunteer area leader for the launch itself. So there are uh, several functional areas, each of which has a leader. And uh, we're trying to seek and find volunteers for all of those and help, um, helping to coordinate those efforts, working very closely with, uh, with Dan and others. My wife, Michelle, and I, uh, we live in, uh, in the Mound West Tonka area. We've been there for about 16 years. We've been ten attending Westwood uh, for 16 years as well. I'm so excited to bring the love of Christ to the community that we live in and where my kids go to school. Hi, my name is uh, Luke Rasmussen, and I am running the welcome team. Um, so my wife, Leslie, and I, we have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, um, and we've been in the West Tonka area for about 10 years here at, at Westwood for six. Um, the thing that we are just so passionate about and excited about is we know that there's so much growth happening in the uh, West Tonka communities with new developments, people moving in, but even people within our community. We had an amazing event at the, um, the uh, Lake Minnetonka Regional Park, and we had one of the big banners that you'll see out in the uh, lobby um, that said, Welcome to Westwood. And a gentleman came up to me and said, Hey, what is this? What does this mean? Um, and he's never been to church, uh, originally from India, amazing guy, created a connection, and he's like, I've always wanted to come check out a Christian church. Never knew what that looked like. Would I be welcome? How do I do that? So there are so many people, and I've gotten to connect with him in coffee, that are just looking for community, looking for connection. And that's on the welcome team. We're so excited to bring is that connection and doing life together, having meals. Um, and so there's so much need for that in the West Tonka area, and we're so excited to be a small part of that. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelsey Madison, and I'm an area co-lead for Kids Ministry. My wife, Annalisa, and I, along with our 18-month-old son, Anders, live in Mound. And the reason why I'm so excited about Westwood West Tonka is that I know I can't control everything that my son is going to experience in his life. That's so but... good you know that. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> but the, the cool thing is, is that God gave me the ability to create. So at Westwood West Tonka, we're going to create an environment mm -hmm. where our kids can not only build a relationship with one another in the community, but even more importantly than that, they're going to learn from adults who are passionate about sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them and what it means to be in a relationship with him. So I don't think anything can get better than that. Oh, you guys, it's so great, isn't it? Come on over there. Oh. Yeah, they're underway. So if you're in that region and you want to learn more, check it out. And we're excited about that launch. Our time is up, unfortunately. I'd love to spend the time and redo my whole message with you. But you know the one single message that Jesus came to preach was the kingdom of God. Oh, I just feel so much better. Would you stand <laughs> and let me offer this prayer uh, for West Tonka and the journey ahead. Father God, thank you so much for the gift of life of 
allowing heaven to come to earth and for us to not be separated, but to be one with you for a renewal and a restorative work that's underway and we get to be the church. We get to be part of it. We avail ourselves to the end that we would honor you and that we'd bring this message of hope in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. And I wanna lift up West Tonka specifically be with Dan and his family as they transition. They got a lot of learning ahead, but for the team that's already there, committed, we just pray that they'll be a great encouragement, but prosper and bless them all. And then prepare the hearts of those who know you not to know you because the message gets declared and known through the love of these who are faithfully serving you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.